0: We have been talking about this, that the the growth of the CISO, its role, its value, whether it be because of regulatory drivers or just the nature of that executive that's totally responsible. And if you are responsible for it, then why aren't you at the table with the rest of the C-suite? You are the chief security information security officer, right? You are the executive in charge. What do I need to go to the CIO? I make the decisions. I should be responsible
1: for that. From Exabeam, this is the new CISO, a show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face, and how they overcome them. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to hear our new episodes first. I'm Steve Moore, and today I speak with Mike Woodson, Director of Information Security and Privacy at Sonesta Hotels. Mike started in the world of radio, then pivoted into law enforcement and cybercrime investigation all over the globe. He now applies his investigative mindset to cybersecurity leadership. We take a look at the value of mentorship, the ins and outs of interviewing, and the risk versus reward of being a CISO. The CISO bears the burden of an organization's cybersecurity, but they don't always have a seat at the biggest table. So what makes a CISO abandon ship? Should a CISO ever report to the CIO? And what perks make the title actually worth the stress? Hello, Mike. Thank you for joining the show uh, for The Uninitiated. If you would please introduce yourself. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Michael Woodson,
0: Mike Woodson from Sunesta Hotels. I'm the Director of Information Security and Privacy. Now. Mike, how long have you been there? I started in February twenty twenty one, February first. I'm a year and six months into
1: the fray here. So tell us a little bit about how you got your start, so the genesis, if you will. So not your you didn't start off as a CISO. Where'd you get your start? I go back and I only date myself
0: to Digital Equipment Corporation technology. Kind of went through, you know, starting out of incident response, you know, e-discovery investigations of child pornography, et cetera, you know, computer forensics, et cetera, in the public sector and being a police officer. I kind of came from deck learning about, hey, from sales organization into the police department and thought I wanted to be a lawyer. However, transitioned out of that, out of the policing after 12 years and came over into what we call e-discovery. And if you recall the Enron, the WorldCom investigations where we stock option backdating kind of led from that. During that time, there was a couple of things that happened. We know that we, you saw the emergence of Windows and what they took off. Technology started emerging network, you know, distributed technology started taking off. And I was in that way. E discovery and that federal rules of civil procedure, but you know, the modification. Then, you know, went overseas, was teaching a course. You know, I started teaching, and, you know, I was an instructor in the, in the police academy, and then I went and started teaching at colleges. One of the things I started seeing, even prior to 9-11, is the terrorist threat. I had an opportunity to teach a course at a college, Curry College, and I was approached to go over for a position over in Indonesia, so I would, that kind of spun me off to be a senior cyber crimes technical advisor, and took me out of the realm of the big five experience you know, or, or the final four and then out of that and launched me over there for computer forensics and, and handling that over there as post uh, as a technical advisor post 9-11 and terrorist investigations, follow the money, things like that. So then I came back here, went back into consulting, still in the discovery route, but then pivoted out of there into big consulting firms and really working with a variety of customers uh, and clients globally. He gave me a very holistic approach to advising organizations, whether it be on governance risk and compliance issues, because GRC took off in 2008. We saw that emerge in that market. But working with leadership and becoming more of an advisor on those tactical, strategic, and operational issues gave me that in into being a qualified candidate for being a lead or, you know, in, in the financial uh, market and going to banks and advising them on issues related to security operations. So I ended that then then I was able to pivot in multiple different verticals as an advisor, as a consultant. And then this led into saying, you know what? I'm tired of traveling, need to go in-house. So across the pond from England, I come back, I came back and had the opportunity to join a bank and who was buying a bank and they came over from Spain and formed a bank and here, yeah, rebranded. My life took off as a director of cyber and network security that led to going to another bank and being advisor to the CISO. And then I, from there, went back into consulting and still advising clients on security operations and standing up socks and incident response and, you know, helping them with their policies and their strategic program of security programs. And then I say, well, no, nope, too much travel. I you know, I've seen the world. I got to come back and have this." So looking for a home to stay home. You know, my mom used to have a way of saying things. So I said, "Where is Michael do And she would say, look up on the plane. He could be on one of them. He seems to call me from an airport <laughs> from somewhere, <laughs> whether he just landed or he's leaving. So I was looking for a home. So I was drafted into being for infrastructure protection major system here in, in Massachusetts, in Boston. And then here I am today. I recruited into hospitality. You know, we're an organization that has experienced 350% growth. And here we are, uh, being the eighth largest hotel chain in the industry here in the United States.
1: Yeah, you said it all there. There is a lot to unpack. First off, I didn't know So the beginnings of, in law enforcement. We didn't get into that.
0: Twelve years. So, you know, for those that, you know, Digital Equipment Corporation, Ken Olsen, all right, uh, was five years, but they sold the company, Compaq. And so I didn't want to move to Houston, Texas. So I wanted to be this go-to law school. And that was the plan, according to grandma, her wishes, but the sun, moon, and the style were not in alignment. So then I went in law enforcement like dad, but I took my technology knowledge into law enforcement because they were my clients and helped them Developing computer aided dispatch systems, mobile data terminal technology, record management systems, ID imaging systems—anything technology, you know, even for the internal affairs and the Ibis system—know you all of that. Being involved in that group and the information systems group, so it was really a technology cop, and also being you know being sent out, you know, sent to the federal law enforcement training center to learn computer forensics, working with FBI CART. It really was fascinating, you know, being on loan to the AG's office, the U.S. attorney's office, on raids for computer forensics. So when I went for my master's program, my first thesis, computer crime, a crime whose time has come. Boom. The ending of that, it would be further research would be interesting to see the effects of technology on children. Whoa, what do we have to that? Well, so that took off. So I always was in key areas. And then went and got a second master's in the Economic Crime Institute, New York. Did research on future needs of cyber forensic tools. Whoa. Okay. Where are we today? Right. So always pivoting into these key attributes related to technology advancements. And so I always tell people, I see cracks, cracks become holes, holes before me and then become craters. I'm in the spackle business. I'm supposed to catch it when it becomes a crack, smooth it over. That's what
1: I do in terms of cybersecurity, preventive. So there's a tie, I think, that binds between these where you go to law enforcement you're there 12 years. Now you said you were more of a technology cop, but you still had to go through, I'm assuming the, the academy, you're still going through all these things. There's that. And then that goes into a little bit of e-discovery, which there's an investigative process. There's chain of custody. There's all this, there's report writing. And then you go into, you mentioned incident response and you know the creating of analytic capabilities. There is a thread that exists between those things. And I want to get your take on something in particular. There's, in my own background in incident response and breach response, a lot of the things we need to ask and answer of our environment are really tied back to, even though it's technical, 100-year-old police investigative questions, right? So what was the event that occurred? Who was involved around? What happened before, during, and after? Is there any abnormalities in the event? Anything strange didn't add up, right? How do I have you're building a timeline of what has occurred? You're collecting evidence. You're asking and answering a lot of questions. And many technical people don't realize that these questions are really policing questions or investigative questions. Give me your take on that because you're closer to it than I am even. So what's your take? So one of the things is probing right? First, second, and third probing. You
0: know, There's a couple of things I bring to the table. I was also in sales and went through the sales development program at DAG, teaching you how to interview, how to ask questions, and open-ended and getting people to tell you open-ended versus closed-ended questions. But in policing, you're right. You have the opportunity to kind of have to do so because you have to look at to get to the root of the problem to understand what you're dealing with. That gave me some of an advantage to take all those skills, that experience. From law enforcement and bring that into what I do today. All right. I look at things totally different problem because of that. I've had this very unique upbringing, as I say, that I carry over from that law enforcement experience, from that sales experience. So when I'm talking to the vendor, uh, you're not going to do this to me. You're not going to happen. I know where you're going with this. So it's really unique in what I do and what I bring to the table. And I've had a great thing, but you're right. Law enforcement gives you that experience to be able to get to the root. And so on this side of them, where you are today. And there are many uh, law enforcement officers who've made this transition who are in information security who can relate to what I just said. They were able to use that. Even guys that were formerly in the military or especially in the intelligence community, they're really good
1: with that. Absolutely. I mean, not taking certain analytical leaps, understanding bias in what you're trying to do or not do, the right methods to collect information, also how to look at that and try to find ways to eliminate error, how to have good repeatability through process or maybe even automation, uh, You know, leveraging technology. There's so many things that get into that, but I think it all ties back to sort of non-technical foundations. Myself, I grew up on a farm. This is before the internet or we before we had the internet. And not having any money and growing up on a farm, you're sort of your own troubleshooter and you're learning how to troubleshoot hydraulic systems and internal combustions, you know, motors and welders and all these things. And you're learning how to take things apart, know how they work and put them back together, which is a physical thing. But that same thing applies to our troubleshooting digital systems. And funny enough, how to maybe abuse or break into and then ultimately protect. I love these parallels of sort of unintended powers that can exist in people's careers. If I may ask, Obviously, different jobs come with different levels of pay and prestige. But setting that aside, of all the things you've done, what job did you have the most fun doing? I was the senior cybercrime
0: technical advisor to the Indonesian government for three years, and I worked with a lot of agencies around the globe. And it it, was—it's fascinating the work that I did. Those with three letters, those within countries, and you know, whether it be over in England, Australia, China. I can tell you, even having the opportunity to
1: be at Interpol in Lyon, France, that was the greatest job that I've ever had. What about that? I mean, you covered the interaction with multiple agencies and certainly being in France. But what specifically about that? Like when you woke up each day, finish the sentence for me, I feel great about my job because I made a difference. I was able to see progress
0: in developing economies and working with the different police departments and making a difference and seeing them you learn and teach them, but also advise them. I had the opportunity to develop the ICT laws and work with the various legal communities and go before parliament in Indonesia to talk about the importance of ICT and what that meant. Work with the Supreme Court, the justices, and all the, the district level, and of course, all the way to the attorney general's office, the ministries in Indonesia, It just made a significant amount Um, to be at the U.N. Crime Council and being important and being on the same panel with Bill Gates. It was fascinating. Uh, Best job, hands down.
1: I love asking that. I have similar answers, different times of obviously not similar background, but there's sometimes the jobs that we look back on fondly, even in the moment, weren't necessarily you may have complained about them in the moment but you look back on them very fondly. It sounds like you thought of the job well when you were in it, but that's, of all the things you've done, I was curious. You've done a lot of travel. It sounds like a lot of fun. Well, it's important to have a job that's fun. Well, yeah, I think that the importance is you can have an important job that's not fun, though. You can have a really important job that is miserable. So for the listener, I guess, that's listening, that's getting to know you, and you're sharing a little bit about your past, you talked about the job in Indonesia, What advice would you give your younger self? So you're going back, whether that's 10, 20, however many years ago, what advice would you have given yourself on the big journey that you've had? Don't settle. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Be all that you can. Don't say that this is it. All right.
0: Be adventurous and be spontaneous and then you'll be okay. That's what I would give people to sum
1: it up because that's what I did. But this didn't happen. How much of your your career was from direction and focus and how much was from sort of a a positive accident, like a happenstance, a I wasn't planning on doing this, but I got the offer. I heard about it. Listen, I I did not plan to go to Indonesia for three years. Okay. I did not
0: plan to be on a, (laughs) I didn't. It happened. You should go here. I did not plan to be a CISO of one of the largest transit systems. It just, somebody tapped me on the shoulder. Hey, you know what? We could use you over here. And in my current role, I didn't plan on even being here. Okay, so it happened. Now, in terms of guidance, I was fortunate. I had some great mentors. I still have, I surround myself with mentors who helped me, who have helped me. One of my greatest being my uncle, who was a dean at MIT. Who, in every which way of being my uncle. But in essence, you see, was my late uncle was a very dear mentor for me, and he guided me like a kicker. I mean, he, he really put me where I needed to be. And so I would never be, forever be thankful to him. I have one in my life as well. Now, another one, his name is Peter Smythe. One of the things that we talk about law enforcement, what I didn't tell you, I was also on radio, radio broadcasting. I worked at radio station WRKL, WRORF, Boston. Peter Smythe took me under his wing, and, um, and when I came out of college, gave me my first job, all right? And, but one of the things Peter did was to teach me how to sell, how to talk to somebody. Here's a pen. Tell me why it's important. Here's a pencil. Tell me features and benefits about that pencil, and what am I going to get out of it? Where's the value, all right? Elevated speech. What's important? Why is it important? He taught me how to think on your feet and how to respond, all and right? um, then Peter Smythe. Later in life, Ann Lonnie, Digital Equipment Corporation, believed in me. She kind of hired me into the company, gave me great training, but gave me great mentoring, how to get through the training, helped me understand what I was doing wrong and didn't hesitate to tell me, always they the wrong. And then also told me when I was right. How I would never remember Anne. And then later on in today in life, I look up to the CISOs like Mark Morrison. Mark is at the OCC. He came out of on DOD, hired me in the State Street. Great guy, someone you can call, someone you admire, someone you can want to emulate, and kind you want to be like. That's Mark Morrison. So those are the, you know who stick out for the success and you know who kind of keep me guided. What would this person do? Then I have people who I admire, like for example, Dave Mark. Dave used to work at EMC, then RSA. In the soft, but one of the things that we talk about the skill gap, and they were one of the first to do what we call we got to think outside of the box, and we're going to fill a position. So why can't we hire a person with a theology degree? Why can't we hire a person from? They did that, all right. I admired it for and even today that model people have adopted it because it makes sense. And when you're looking from an analyst perspective, you kind of hit it home that yeah, some of those transferable skills apply, all right yeah, that mom that was that mother. Hey, she had a thing in the
1: box. We could hire her, all right? And she could be a security analyst because she has the ability, right? So let's take this back a little bit. I want to take this back to Mr. Smythe at the radio station. So let's, you said you worked at a couple different radio stations? Was there? Yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah, so let's hear your radio intro. All right, I'm Woodson on
0: WRF. <laughs> 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 I was on radio station WSM
1: in college. That was my radio name,
0: M.L. Woodson, uh, when I was in radio.
1: M.L. Woodson. I never planned on, I was asked four or so years ago if I would do a podcast, and I initially I said no. I didn't think it was something I wanted to do, and I decided that I would only do it if I could make it a security leadership podcast. So it's turned out to be one of the best parts of my life, of, of my job for certain. You, know, you, you mentioned your days in radio. And I've certainly never done that. And I'm not comparing the podcast to that. But I will tell you that doing a show today and having the experience that uh, that I have through the show, interviewing people like you, uh, learning from their past, learning that there's this wealth of knowledge out there. If you just take the time to ask. And we have this amazing brain trust in information security that I think is going um, unnoticed in many ways. You know, you have a mentor, you have people you look up to. Some people are fortunate to have that, but many don't. And so, taking a bit of your experiences and distilling that into small amounts of information for the listener is really the goal of the show. And I I never set out to be any kind of a host. In fact, as I've said before, I didn't want to do it at first. I didn't want to do a security news podcast, but I wanted to do a security leadership show. And you're the first guest that was a radio DJ. But it was interesting that you include that because again, that begins to paint the painting of you, right? There's an element there that influenced how you communicate even today.
0: Well, I tell people, I said, "Look, if someone gave me two million dollars, what would you do? Buy a radio station? I tell them, Harvey. Uh, radio is my first love. It really is. I do well. I wouldn't say it was, well. It's my first love. My second thing that you don't know about me is that I love the ocean. I am originally. When I went to college, I was supposed to be a marine biologist, but me in quantitative chemistry, and I really will say this: it is not a science. It's a foreign language. It's in the wrong department." So because of that, I am not a marine biologist uh, today But I scuba dive I love the ocean And would love to return it But radio is my first love I think that has always been When you listen, whether it be a podcast Whether you're on iHeart Radio AM, FM, satellite radio You're communicating Whether it be deliverable music And really in people's lives To kind of change their emotional state, right? And so, radio DJ is playing a crucial part to that, and I, I really enjoy it as what I do. My undergrad is a degree in radio broadcasting communications.
1: That's where I start. I think that's also a first for the show. I want to spend a second on getting into interviewing. In you've you've had a lot of different interviews in a lot of different verticals, and or maybe or maybe you haven't. Maybe you've just been asked to do it, and then you don't really interview, right? Somebody knows you, but. I want to focus, for the benefit of the listener, what your tips are or what your perspective is on how to not get caught up in some kind of trick bag when you're interviewing to be a security leader. Like, What are your tips, perspectives, things that you want to make sure you don't second-guess yourself on as you are interviewing for maybe your first management position in information security or maybe director of or maybe CISO? You've been around, you've done a lot of things. Share that with us, if you would. Yeah, good, great question. So be yourself.
0: You can front and, but also listen and interact with the interviewer Okay, more. And I'm speaking for lessons learned. You know, recently went on an interview for a position and don't drive home static stuff. Really be dynamic. That's important. The trickery that you can, you you want to show your best for but take it as it goes and go go with it and don't be the driver, let it, the conversation drive itself. I hope that makes
1: sense. Well, I think it does. Look, I think it does. I think that you have a unique position in, you you mentioned you having a law enforcement and then in, you know, forensics and investigations and now executive work, you know. Been all over the world. I think people sign up often. They take the responsibility of a CISO position or a security leadership position. They take it and they didn't pressure test it enough. They end up signing up for the weight and often the burden of the position without all the benefit. And people get slighted a little bit. Maybe that's too strong of language, but you know i've had people on the show before where they said they didn't ask the right questions they didn't ask the questions they should have they didn't see the warning signs during the interview so that's what i ask almost every guest that because one day i want to put together a master list of like the opinions of the leaders i've had on the show that's sort of this unofficial i wouldn't call it a guide but you know to get that out would be amazing uh, one day so that's that's why i press on this topic cuz i think People mess it up more than they'd like to admit. Well, they do.
0: It's called looking before you leave, right? You got it. It's like, you would you buy a car you you not test drive it? Would you marry somebody sight unseen? Well, I got a date, right? Okay. But the point being is that a lot of people don't probe and ask about questions about what happened to the previous seesaw? Uh, what are the burdens of understanding of, okay, well, about the board you know, what their sentiment is, in doing their due diligence and who makes up the board and getting a feel for the personality of it and understanding the C-suite and the CEO and the CIO if you're going to report it to a CIO. And, you know, for example, I, I have bought into situations where you know, I should do a little more due diligence on a couple of things and some of my experience and some of the roles that I've had. Even as a consultant, so being hired and being in an engagement, so that should have asked some more probing questions before you took it on. So there's a lot of ways that you could slice this. I think that everybody's different in what they do or can do. But I really honestly believe that what you're saying, a lot of people don't look before they leave.
1: When we met, when we spoke last, one of the questions I thought was interesting or that it was phrased, and you mentioned it here again, is, what are the issues my predecessors faced? And then you followed it up with, and then what still should be corrected, meaning it it requires them to understand when you pair those two questions together, it's, they have to come up with a perspective of the person who was in the position before and, and what was left unfinished or the challenges. And then you're asking them to know what has changed in between the two. And it's a very simple set of questions, but it's, pretty powerful in that it gives you an idea who that person is and how involved they are with security pretty quickly.
0: Right. And what your role is and how, and it also gives you perspective on how serious that the organization is going to take security
1: and take your role. The other good question you had is I really liked is what has led to the hiring of this position, which is a very eloquent way of saying did the last person get fired? Why am I here? Why are we having this conversation?
0: (laughs) Why did this role become available? But that happens. And whatever reason. So the average, when you look at from a CISO, we're 18 months. And it seems to be the average. 18 to 24 months. For whatever reason. And it seems to be this mystery that's associated with being a CISO. Not a term.
1: You know, the other thing I'll ask is when dealing with being a CISO, what do you think the reason is that most of them quit? What causes them to leave their role most often in your position and in your from your perspective? There's differences of conflict of interest between the CIO and the CISO. All that right?
0: reporting structure to death. A CISO needs to be at the table. Security is no longer and should not be an afterthought in any organization, big or small, medium or small. Especially now that you're doing business using platform computing and cloud and technologies. Yeah, you know, the risk is high cyber and management. And so the CISO isn't just this person that you, that you should sit in the corner and call them when you need them. They need to understand the business itself. And so it's important now that, you know, the rise of the CISO has a seat at the table in the C-suite. So because of that, you see a lot of them leaving. The other part, attribute is your know, finance. You know, you're taking on a responsibility. You are the executive responsible for keeping this place, cybersecurity, and everything that comes with it. You're the boss of the job. Something goes wrong, you're the person. Compensation is very important.
1: You got to pay for it. So you think that organizations are faced that the two primary movers, and I would agree, is either reporting structure or the risk versus reward, or in this case, the pay, is not in alignment. Correct. And so that
0: causes a person to pivot and leap when they're not getting... You know, whether it be in the bonus, whether there's the proper compensation coming in the door, and you realize that you're you sold yourself short and negotiated yourself short. So a lot of that happened.
1: I've got super strong opinions on this on this topic, but is there ever a time where the CISO should report to the CIO?
0: No. I'm very strong about I'm adamant about now. You know, I sit on a committee and I've been the, the schema committee who design, build, the certification for the certified CISO, Easy Council. And we've done a lot of research on this, okay? We have been talking about this, that the the growth of the CISO, its role, its value, whether it be because of regulatory drivers or just the nature of that executive that's totally responsible. And if you are responsible for it, then why aren't you at the table with the rest of the C-suite? You are the chief information security officer, right? You are the executive in charge. What do I need to go to the CIO? I make the decisions. I should be responsible to that. It looks like everybody else. You know, you got the CFOs responsible finance. You got COO from an operations perspective. I'm the chief people officer, the chief privacy officer, and the chief risk officer. And here you go. Here you got this guy right here in security, which is a major attribute of the survival of any business today.
1: I think. My position, it, it, well, it's it's very much the same. I don't think that a CTO or CIO is the correct or proper chain of command. I also think based on the gravity of the position and what I would call bad day factor, your bad day factor is pretty damn high, right? I mean, in terms of, in terms of working in an office building, you know, maybe not like compared to being a cop, but in terms of working in an office, the bad day factor is pretty high, the possibility of a bad day. Mm-hmm. And so the pay should be like, like I, I told someone once, I said, well, I want to be, whatever the biggest table is, I want to be there and I want to be compensated like the folks at that table.
0: Exactly. There you go.
1: But they are not. And that's the issue.
0: So you're telling us that we're responsible for the security of your organization. And whether you play a role there's the chief information security officer, there's the chief security officer where they bundle it all together you're assuming all this responsibility, 24 by 7, 365, you are the guy, you are the person, you're the woman, you're that individual, Try to with that. And that whether or you can, you are in a digital world, things can go wrong. A lot of risks, a lot of adversaries out there targeting you, no matter what industry you're in, looking for the goods, etc. Now, you're responsible for the strategic, tactical, and operational issues. And the compliance is the risk issue, and those legal issues too. That you hone in because we have to be compliant. What part of that doesn't add up business acumen, business 101? You need to be at the table because I don't know about you,
1: but a plumber could not be make a decision for a carpenter, right? Right, right. I think, well, here's another thing you mentioned that we haven't covered. You mentioned the CSO and That is a, with all the responsibilities of a CISO or similar position, then you have the CSO and and many organizations have both. I have seen where there's a reporting relationship between the two, meaning they're part of the same chain of command, but you're getting into things like executive protection, physical security, all of this. Is there an overlap there? Should there be such a thing as a CISO? Should there only be a CSO that owns that? Depends on the organization. So let's look at the
0: banking industry. Financial, you're right. The
1: physical security,
0: the branch, the warehouse, right? That's physical security. But now we're in the era of convergence, where technology is incorporated because everything has an IP address. So keeping an eye on things is a little different. The data center is going away, and everything is now connected through networks through an IP address, whether it be the door, whether it be the printer, whether it be the security camera. So the question is for the organization, as they mature as an organization, modern times requires modern applicability and in those times. Well, that convergence of converting those two may be required because there's a mobile app there. And that's where it is. Like, for example, in the business of critical infrastructure protection, the SIA model now is, does not apply. You, just, you had it, you added an S to it. Safety. So the CS model now applies to that in world. And in that, that's where conversions comes in, the conversions of X. And it could be physical security. It could be you know, technology that is usually under the realm of the security engineering department, HAV systems, all of that. That's where this comes in and it's It has to do with with the nature of the business to make that decision, whether it could be handled by one.
1: There's no right answer. I think this one is a little more murky than the reporting structure question or topic. I think the answer is that it depends. It's certainly very important. There's There's also elements of, there's different investigative groups. There could be fraud involved. There's other things that there's a sort of overlap depending on the vertical that they're in. If you had to give an answer as to Again, it's going to depend, but to whom should the CISO report them then is if the answer is no to the CIO, and I would expand that to CTO, if you were to pick a list, what does that look like to you? It would
0: vary by industry. If I had to do, a, if I was a guy, it really would be the chief legal officer, general counsel. Because if you think about it on the general counsel perspective, you know, from a risk perspective, they need to understand, you know, there's, there's privacy because now that's another convergence of X. Where today my role is director of information security and privacy. You're now seeing the evolution of new roles called the chief information, the CISPO, chief information security and privacy officer, the CISPO. So because of that, where you're dealing in digital privacy agreements, uh, digital privacy, uh, but also fraud, I get involved in a lot of fraud investigations related to that. And some of the fraud comes out of business email compromises, vendor email compromises. So, because of that, they get dragged into that, and that varies by a lot of corporations. Then you have vendor fraud, vendor management. Then comes indirectly to you. For a case in point, you know, look what happened with the the case of where a person recently was arrested for selling counterfeit kind Cisco router and things like that. All right that CISO was involved in that one, right? The point being is that there's a convergence of X ext- and criminal, and that, you know, it's a new phenomenon. So today, the role is evolving more business acumen, you know, not just the technical guy. Not sitting in a little Z coming and advising, this isn't about the perimeter, not just the firewalls, it's beyond the perimeter. And of course, the acceleration of that kind of just brought forward, you know, cloud technologies where infrastructure as a service offers a service, you know, platform as services is a meaningful thing now to most businesses today. Where it was like, okay, yeah, 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 prior to the pandemic. Now, post pandemic, it's a, oh, yeah, because we got a remote workforce now. I think we can worry about it. a lot of things going on. So now the conversions just take place. The role has to be reassessed, but it
1: and also should be elevated. I want to pick your brain on something else. So someone who's starting out in a new security leadership position, one of the most important things to do is to sort of set the tone. You've got about 60 to 90 days to do that. For those that maybe that are listening that haven't done it and they're thinking, okay, how do I set the tone? How do I get started? What do I want to do? And this is more from an executive relationship perspective, but how do you sort of be proactive in the process post hire to set the tone right? What are your, what's your advice there? I always like to come in the door with a 90-day plan.
0: You know, it's kind of like when I see an initial with the caveat, this is subject to be adjusted and also to be revisited and updated as we go along as I get to know the the organization. But you always want to come in with that 90-day plan. Build those relationships and incorporate relationship building east, west, north, south of the organization. Listen, very important. You know, listen to people. Sit down, take them a coffee, have it, understand, but note and say, Look, I want to come back and have a talk with you, but we get some initial, you know, working, a working plan, both to understand. Know the business, know the key partner attributes of the meaning of the business, the business alignment. Very important for you to really talk to the
1: business. Do us a favor here. I, I like doing this on the show. I'm your brand new director of security, CISO. You've got to go and kind of play cop again and interview, well, who should I meet with? How do you distill your list to your top 10 people that you should meet with first? And then once you have that list, you know, when you, if you're just talking coffee at first, just making introductions, like, do you pick up the phone? Do you send them an email?
0: I send them an email introduction. That's what I do and have done. Get an opportunity to introduce yourself, you need me about 15, 20 minutes of your time, try to see when it works for them, whether it be early in the morning, mid-afternoon. Late in the afternoon or early evening, I come to you, and you don't need to come to me. And so, I'll give an example of where I was prior to this role, the general manager. And I used to say, "Okay, I'll talk to you and take a have a meeting." And walk into the train station, and we did it again in the morning. So I come to you, and you going to jump on the train, take the train, with you have a conversation. So that's what you have to do: kind of think outside the box to get to these people. It may not be in the element of the office. It may be outside the office. Someone says, I'm playing golf at this time. Okay, I'll see you there. I won't be playing the game. I'll drive the car, but we can have a conversation while we're driving the car. You got to really go to where people be unique. But if it's 15 minutes of their time, that pivots to a half an hour to get on the calendar. And if it's just an introduction, a person might even say, I can tell you one instance of a company that I was with. I met a person at the supermarket because they said they were going shopping. And
1: I walk the aisle with them. It's a little bit of hustle in there. Exactly. I think that's super important to make that effort. Another question I have is, do you talk shop on the first meeting?
0: Not really. I, I like to talk about the business. Which, you know, how's it going getting to know attributes? It's not necessarily really talk about it. To so getting to know you, me, how you work, what's important to you. But I want to know about you. And I want you to know about me. I'm here. We can talk about shop and kind of set that for later on. But it's important I want to come by and get to know you and say hi to you, appreciate you giving me the time on your calendar, number one, but also for the idea you know, doing the
1: job that you do. And, and that's important, build that relationship. I just did a thing earlier today where I was getting interviewed on this topic and those that have listened to the show probably know what I'm gonna say here, but if they haven't, it's, you know, you never wanna make an introduction during a crisis. So you don't want to wait until all hell breaks loose to make an introduction to these important people. And to your point, you want to get to know them and their priorities and their line of business before you even mention much about what you got going on. Make it about them first and do that early and often. Yeah, great advice. Mike, I got one more question for you. And I'll say what
0: my kids I always tell my kids I may not have an answer. It's
1: true. You'll have an answer to this one. I know you will. Pursuant to the name of the show which is the new CISO. Uh, Mike, what's being a new security leader mean to you? Well, look, you're a new kid on the block.
0: I always tell people, look and listen. Be that one that's going to be an advocate for change and be that one willing to admit that you're going to be the one that says, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But you got to be that person to be there, the 24 by 7, 365. So one that's willing to lean in and be there for the reason for the business. That's what it means for me,
1: one that's really gonna come and roll up this sleeping attorney. Perfect, Mike, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, it's a pleasure. That is it for this episode of the new CISO. Thank you for listening. Check out more episodes on exbeam.com forward slash podcast. Remember to rate, review and subscribe to get brand new episodes first.